Fort Laramie, starring M.L. Alric as Captain Lee Quince. Specially transcribed tales of the dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier. The saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire. And the dramatic story of Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. Get your finger out of my face. Get your finger out of my face. Take the first shot, then if you want to come Get your out finger out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Albert? That's not an echo you're hearing. Rob Walchek is actually still talking. So we, we, we tried to cut him off after last week's show, but he's... He's still here. So, Mark, if you could, if you could turn, uh, yeah, if you could turn Rob's mic off, we'd, we'd appreciate that. This is a whole new show. This is your old pal M.L. Elric, an investigative reporter at Fox 2, and your host here at M.L. Soul of Detroit, joined this week, as always, by Mark Fellhauer. In studio, we have Sean Windsor, who was able to uh, make it back here from, uh, from the Ivory Tower or whatever they have over the, the Ivory Shwarma. Was it in the uh, Ivory... Say what you think, please. Is this, is this a it. shot that's falling flat? We're gonna, so, we're that's gonna, a shock? We're going to edit this out. This is, this is, <laughs> folks, you have no idea how many of these bad jokes never make it on the Sean won that with silence. And, uh, and before he says something, I'm going to introduce Sean Mann, who is the, uh, one of the owners and uh, the, I guess, I don't know, can we call you the godfather of Detroit City Football Club, Detroit City Football League, uh, fun soccer in Detroit? Or is that Dan Gilbert? <laughs> I think it's still my title. Okay, now. yeah. No, I think I think Dan's Dan's going to have to take that from you, and he's not close. Although, is anybody concerned about what kind of condition Very. Dan Gilbert's in? Very. I mean, initially they're like he had a stroke at the hospital. They did a great job, and then we hear three oh, days origi- later. Originally, it was stroke-like symptoms. Yeah, and then we hear you three know. days later he could hear me. He understood what I was saying. He was aware I was in the room. Is yeah. Is a good sign, right? Yeah, no, I know. Is, is, is this Woodrow Wilson uh, 2019? Is, is Mrs. Gilbert now going to run the empire? I it's mean, frightening, man. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, so we, we, we wish Dan well. I'm not sure that we're all in love with uh, some of the deals he's cut, but, uh, but uh, we well, wish him well. I still want him to be healthy. Yeah, of course. Uh, and and I, I do have to say this, and uh, Sean, if you want to get into this in, in a little bit, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that up to you. But I think one of the biggest okey-dokes played in Detroit history was this whole notion of, if you give me the jail site, I'm going to build a gorgeous gateway event center coming into downtown where we're going to have concerts, we're going to have soccer, look at the lights, look at the banners, look at all these beautiful things. And as soon as he got the land swap from Wayne County, now it's going to be what? Uh, field. Uh, a hotel, an office yeah. plaza. I'll ask Sean the question. Do you think there was any seriousness to bringing an MLS team to the city of Detroit? On Tom Gore's end? I mean, Arn, Arn Tellum got involved, and I don't think he was joking around. I mean, yeah. I think it was sincere on the Pistons' end. Yeah, I think it was a sincere effort, and I would say it's a still a live effort. Um, I think anytime you have three billionaire families with their names attached to it, it's always going to have a pulse to it until some official announcements made. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it wasn't the effort that you've seen in other cities. It uh, seemed half-assed. Well, and I think that's why other cities have passed it up um, and gotten picked over them. I think they really want to bring it here, but I think this notion that they're going to build that, that signature stadium oh, on that the was, jail yeah. site, that to me feels like like a huge bait, bait and switch. switch yeah. And I have yet to be convinced otherwise. And if you've ever driven into Toronto, 
you can see, I think at one time it was BMO Stadium, but it's a soccer stadium right on, on uh, is it the St. Lawrence Seaway there, Lake Champlain? Or Ontario. Yeah, Lake Ontario. It's, okay, I'm not so good in geography. but uh, <laughs> You could but, have just said water. Well, I've been to Montreal. I get them confused. <laughs> but, um, oh, so it's just a way to say that you've been to Montreal. Ooh, well, <laughs> if you're impressed by going to Montreal, you're, you're well, you apparently think easily it's impressive. impressed. But that's a beautiful stadium, and lots of things happen there. And they also have, you know, other big stadiums there, too, so it's possible. So I guess what I'm saying is... Uh, Good luck, Dan Gilbert. This is a great time to give a special thanks to David Hall, who for Hall Financial is a Red Shovel Network sponsor. We can't emphasize enough how important people like David Hall are to our very survival. Without him, we wouldn't be here very long. So he's taking a chance on this new form of media, and we appreciate it. If you want to refinance your home with Hall Financial, as I'm doing, Hall Financial would love to save you money, and I love that they're saving me money. You can email David at dhall at hallfg.com or call Hall Financial at 248-308-5000. Maybe it's your first home or your dream home. Maybe you want to take money out of your home. Give David Hall a chance and get lower rates, better options, and more personal attention. They have over 600 five-star reviews that may even be higher now. Industry average for a refi is 44 days. Hall Financial average is 19 days. They will fight for you even if you have a dent in your credit history. Email dhall at hallfg.com or call 248-308-5000 and thank them for giving the soul of Detroit a chance to stick around a while. Tell them ML sent you. And I should tell you about sponsors. We don't just take any sponsors. In fact, this show more than any other is very restricted. We can't take any sponsors for anybody with a political angle. We can't take any sponsors for anybody that I think I might do a report on at some point, which really narrows the sponsor field down quite a bit. And I'm doing a deal with them because it makes sense to me. If we were sponsored by Caterpillar, I would not buy a tractor just because they're sponsoring us. We still, Caterpillar, you're welcome to sponsor us, but... uh, I'll buy a tractor. Okay, well then, Caterpillar, you know, we got your first sale. So so give Dave a haul. We, We really appreciate him supporting the show. Summer is here, and it's time to enjoy fun and sun, and you're still stuck with your contacts, glasses, and those dreaded reading glasses. You ever try swimming with contacts in? Not advisable. In the ocean? Forget about it. Dr. Yaldo is here to set you free. Free willy, if you will, if you're in the ocean. As he has for nearly 100 of you, our great and loyal Red Shovel listeners, who let the doctor know that you came to see him because you heard about him here first. Dr. Yaldo's done 30,000 LASIK procedures, more than anyone in Michigan, and has the most advanced technology in the world of eye surgery. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of misinformation about the safety and cost of LASIK. I had mine done about 10 years ago, and it's doing great. It is, in fact, one of the safest of all medical procedures, and Dr. Yaldo's CATS Custom LASIK is the world's most precise that delivers amazing results, like better than 2020 vision in most cases. His multifocal lens implants for people 45 plus get rid of reading glasses for good. That means not ever again, folks. The technology produces precision vision that few could have ever hoped to experience. And cost? Don't believe the $299 hype by the national change. It does cost more than that with Dr. Yaldo, but with the ML Soul of Detroit discount, Yaldo Eye Center financing, it's affordable for almost anybody. Get a free evaluation, call 1-800-398-EYES, that's 1-800-398-EYES, or go to yaldoeyecenter.com. Tell them ML sent you. We talk about the soul of Detroit here. I, I want to tell you what it's like. I'm coming up on my 20th anniversary of moving home and living in Detroit, buying a house in Detroit. This is a great city. It's a great place. But every so often, it will get you. 
it will it will break your heart. It will make you wonder why am I still here? And you need things to come along and reinvigorate you and remind you why this is such a great place. And, and there there are two things that I really hold dear and and have come to believe over twenty years of working as a reporter in this town. One of them is that City Hall is not going to help you. Uh, They should. They're supposed to. They take a lot of your money, but they're not going to help you. If you are going to get help, it's going to be you. It's going to be your friends. It's going to be your neighbor. So this is a city that encourages the pioneer spirit, if only out of desperation. The other thing is that you need something to keep you going every once in a while. And for me, about 10 years ago, I'd hit one of those points where I was like, what am I doing here? Was this the right move? And I was invited to play on the East English Village soccer team and i had not played soccer since fifth grade and it's evident to anybody who's seen me play this was a way to bring people and neighborhoods together somebody knew i lived in the neighborhood they knew i loved sports and i played sports they said well maybe this idiot plays soccer i don't but i do now and i met so many people in my neighborhood what position did you play uh when i was a kid well, no, in this in this I league. played keeper. My my uh Oh really? My claim to fame was I stopped Rick Whitney on a penalty kick. Oh and if you know Rick Whitney, as I'm sure Whitney. you do, yeah. he was an amazing athlete. Great, great guy. <laughs> um stoned his ass. And maybe in the last I know save he's still talking made. about it too. He's he's in council. He's hurt by it. He's yeah. he's he's gonna be okay someday. But Sean is the one who brought this together. It started with ten, eleven neighborhoods. Now we're up to what, thirty six? Yeah, we're now at the 10th anniversary of uh, the Neighborhood League, uh, Detroit City Football League. And, yeah, that first year, um, you know, as, as humble a start as it can be, I, uh, we, we played at Belle Isle. Belle Isle only had one set of goals uh, that first year. So I actually made two sets of goals out of PVC pipe uh, that I would drive around out of the back of my Sebring Coop. Uh, and if you remember, like, you know, the first year, if, uh, if a ball hit the goal, the goal would disintegrate. And <laughs> sure. Lost the game to reassemble it. My kicks wouldn't have done that, but the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and women. It's co ed. Yeah. You know, I, I moved uh, down into Southwest Detroit by Clark Park, uh, you know, well, 11 years ago. Um, and after a year living there, I got to know some neighbors, certainly younger neighbors. And, you know, we were boarding up houses all the time, and Saturdays were spent, you know, mowing vacant lots, immediate remediation on vacant homes. It was, you know, a slightly different time, certainly in that neighborhood. And uh, it was a good group of folks, but it was also, like, kind of uh, depressing, spending all your free time boarding up houses. Oh, so yeah. I was trying to think of a, a fun way to engage neighbors that didn't involve, you know, blight boarding remediation. Boarding up houses, yeah. yeah. So uh, I had lived in uh, Europe for the last few years before I came back to Detroit, and uh, I really that's even in, further away than Montreal. <laughs> well, I fell in love with like the the culture around the sport uh, and the sense of identity, and uh, also it's the reason it's the most popular sport in the world is it's accessible, right? You know, like right. you know, as long as you can a ball and a patch of grass, yeah. some PVC piping, and run or jog or walk, whatever you can play it, and uh, hand eye level coordination isn't even a factor, right? You know, so it's more about community organizing and getting folks in the neighborhood out and meeting each other than it was about soccer. Soccer is just the platform. But now it's turned into the Detroit City Football Club, which played at Cast Tech for a few years, moved over to Keyworth, and I should, in in the interest of full disclosure. Let you know that I'm one of, what, a couple hundred people who invested in the Keyworth Rehabilitation Project. 499. So, 499. So we've all 
committed some money to Keyworth with no promise that it would be returned. In fact, the money is being returned uh, at an, an a alarming rate, which is great. So I, I have a financial, uh, a minimal financial stake in the in the in the the well-being of Detroit City Football Club. So I just want that to be up front. But the football club is now in this great stadium in uh, in Hamtramck, which you guys have done an amazing job bringing back. And now there's another transformation where you're playing your regular old season, then you're going to play another season at at the end of it. Yeah, the Neighborhood League uh, segued within a couple of years to conversations, and at the time there was the uh, investors who bought the Silverdome who were, had these like grandiose plans about bringing MLS up to Pontiac. And, uh, and it was just buddies who I got to know through the Neighborhood League were like, well, that would be a pretty crappy experience in the Silver Dome, and also this seems like a really half-baked idea. Um, and so we were inspired to create a club of our own, seeing some other clubs in this country and beyond. And so, um, you know, it was five of us, and we each chipped in, I think. We have to go back and look at the books, like $2,400 a piece. I mean, it was really basically enough to buy a set of jerseys and a set of goals for key, or for Cast Tech, which didn't have soccer goals at the time, and uh, a riding lawnmower off of eBay. And, you know, that was enough for us to they have going. natural grass at Cast Tech? They did. They did. It, okay. it was in horrible condition. Uh, and so that was, uh, was us rolling up our sleeves and mowing it and, uh, you know, fertilizing it. And, you know, wives were lining the field and parents were collecting tickets. You know, it was, for us, a lot of our friends were starting small businesses in the city. Um you know, barbecue restaurants or whatever. And, and so there was an entrepreneurial bug that we got bitten by. And so, um, you know, folks came out right out of the gate. It was awesome. Within four years, we sold out Cast Tech, and that prompted us to move to Keyworth. But How many, what was the capacity at Cast Tech? I mean, technically it's like 3,000, but we were squeezing 3,500 in yeah. there. There was one time I remember a fire marshal pulled up right before a game kicked off, and I was like, you know, sweating bullets, and then I realized he was picking up his kid from school. You know, I was like, <laughs> I mean, we, it was to a point towards the end there. If you remember, like, people were on the fences, like, looking in because oh, yeah. there was just no capacity. Yeah, all the food trucks sold out of food, you know, no water. I mean, it was, you're almost a victim of your own success. And yeah, it was a, special time as always that first place we played but we needed a bigger home and also we needed like a regulation size pitch which cast tech wasn't and so uh there's where the conversations came around keyworth uh which is like this amazing piece of detroit sports history you know it's been around since 1936 it's actually it's detroit history and that like his first wpa project completed in michigan or fdr was at the ribbon cutting right it was one of his last campaign stops before his he kicked a field goal yeah something like that yeah uh, is pretty good for a guy with polio yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. Was uh, it was actually an extra point you know, before they <laughs> moved it back. That's how easy they are, yeah. Um, Off a tee. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, that was the perfect place, the next step for us. Um, we'll have capacity up to 8,000. So is, um, what's the next step? Where where do you go from here? And what So, you know, with soccer, there's leagues and relegation and promotion. I mean, does that exist in America? No, uh if you have an investor with $20 million. Yeah, so U.S. soccer is a complete mess, mm -hmm. uh, to be honest. Uh, and uh, really, we are, we are uh, the epitome of American exceptionalism when it comes to soccer. Like The entire world has a format that is successful to varying degrees. But the United States, uh, because of our failures with the old NASL and Detroit mm -hmm. Express and all those things, when they create MLS – it was just a couple of uh, NFL owners, really, Lamar Hunt and uh, Kraft and AEG, the Angelos, uh, who launched it. And uh, 
and so it's very much a franchise model, uh, like other American sports leagues, even actually more on steroids because it's one business entity. That you oh, own. that pays out everything? Yeah, so the MLS is one business entity that you own a right to, that you own the right to operate a team in that market. It's even different than like NFL or anything like that. But um, so um, they have rules in place to join MLS, obviously, and, and that's now to join MLS. It's a billion dollars, and the latest franchise fee is up to $200 million. Um, the leagues below that are also franchises, um, and U.S. Soccer created rules for determining if you're second or third division. Well, the thing is, there's no point to divisions in American soccer because there's no promotion relegation like you would yeah. have in the rest. So it's just a, a moniker, you know. So brand. it's regional based. What's happened is there's a group of us teams who, um, you know, really don't think that model makes sense. Like we meet all the standards of the league below Major League Soccer. Um, well, your attendance has got to be over most of these minor yeah. league clubs. I mean, 5,000, it's not unheard of to have 7,000 people at a game. Yeah. So I was just looking, like, um, outside of Major League Soccer, we had the third highest attendance in the country. Um, and so. <laughs> wow. Uh, five, five shemps from Detroit put together this team, and now they're bringing in more people than just about anybody else. Yeah. And so we don't meet the standards because we're just five guys right and like one of the the most important standard for american soccer is that you have a net worth of at least 20 million dollars to own a professional soccer team well so it doesn't fail right yeah because anything that came up organically would fail at some point i mean at the same time like if you're worth 20 million dollars and your team's losing a million dollars a year eventually the wife's gonna say hey i'm not gonna lose a house in florida give up the soccer team right right? and that's all too often the case the average american soccer team only lasts a couple years well we're going on year eight and we've gotten to a point where we've outgrown our current league, and so we've teamed up with some other teams across the country, and there's uh, 11 of us, and we're launching a new league with professional rosters in August. So this year, just so folks know, you're going to finish the season the way you've been doing it for the last eight seasons with your college kids, other guys who come in and play, sort of a basically an amateur model. Yep. And then in the beginning of August, you have another season. Right. With the new same coach, same management, but now players are going to be paid. You're going to be traveling. I mean, it's That's two seasons in one. Yeah. yeah. By I the mean, way, is that covered with my gold ticket? Do it I is. get both? Way one whole year. You're I told them no. Best deal in Detroit sports. But now that's a whole different level. You're paying players. Uh, you got to come as a fan. You're responsible for it. Is there much fear to that, or are you fully comfortable doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's a new challenge for sure. And, like, and we, because we are normal guys, we have that extra burden of, like, we can't run a deficit, right? Like, yeah. most American sports teams are running in the red, and, um, you know, they're an offset for other, you know, um, tax liabilities. Of well, other well the things that grow those leagues is, well, gambling and then um, television. Yeah. So would somebody televise the professional league, the one that starts in the August? Um, not this season, but we're working, I mean, Frankly, we're getting away from broadcast, and it's more streaming platforms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and especially soccer. That's where the sport's heading in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, for us, it's you know, it's ticket sales. It's the only problem with that though is nobody really runs into it. You know, nobody sees. Oh, what is this on Channel X? I'm just going to put it on for a while and get sucked. That's how I got sucked into soccer. You know, years ago was it was just on. When I go to a streaming platform to you watch just, it. You sat down as goal, 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 no, and you I, said, I got to watch I was telling Sean earlier, I got into it because we'd get home from the Riff show, and I'd want to fall asleep, so I put on something 
I thought was going to put me to sleep. That's a hell of an endorsement. Two hours later, I was just wired and, and wide awake from it. I mean, that's how I fell okay. in love with the sport. But, Mark, in fairness, you're 60, so people that... True. <laughs> folks that are 25 are on their phones, and they do stumble across it. It's just different. That's they fair. stumble across on Twitter mm-hmm. or Instagram. And Facebook. Like, we've yeah, been exactly. streaming on Facebook. Hey, people use Facebook still? Yeah, we actually... We Old folks like us. Yeah. People scroll through their feed, and our game pops up. Um, but, yeah, no, that was my same experience. Like, I grew up in Livonia and came early 90s come home high school and there it was on ESPN was Champions League matches and you know it's Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock and you're like why is the stadium packed of people and they're going mm-hmm. crazy and you counter that to like you know uh, the sporting events you're used to and you're, at, you're instantly gravitate towards it and I think that's where American soccer is now like you know you got four times as many people watching Premier League matches on Saturday morning than they are MLS on the same day in primetime um and it is a very globally oriented audience that's, you know, they're very knowledgeable. They know the sport and they, and that's why I think Americans are struggling is that like we're offering a very different product to a fan base that's very aware of how the rest of the world's handling it. To that point, the MLS will, you know, they'll bring over like uh, Lampard. They'll bring over old players who, you know, are retired from European soccer playing the MLS. And I, you know, we were talking about Drogba uh, last week off the air. And I'm like, he finished his career in Phoenix, like with some, you know, really small club. Would you guys ever want to do that? Would you, would there ever be a star that just for the name alone? Yeah. That's not us. Like we just hired a new coach Mm -hmm. and it was funny, like the number of soccer agents, which are nefarious characters to say the least. And I got guys from Belgium or Mexico calling me up and be like, Hey, would you want X guy to be your manager? (laughs) You know, he just needs 200,000 a month and an apartment and things like that. And I'm just like, who doesn't? Well, I'm just like, I kind of vaguely know his name. Like, I don't think, you know, like there's not a soccer market here where they're going to pay that, you know? So that's not who we are. Um, we're never going to have the best product on the field, like, um, but we're going to have a captivating product, and and I think we're going to offer well, the experience. A, exactly, yeah. I think we offer a game day experience that sets us apart, and that's our value proposition. Absolutely, the Northern Guard. I mean, this is so. When you had the team over from Northern Ireland uh, a year or so ago, one of the things their supporters said was, "Not only do we have nothing like the Northern Guard, we legally can't." Because our fans get carried away. The hooligans? Yeah, and yeah. these guys are, I don't want to call them fooligans because they're, they'll come after me. They already say their language is already so salty. But um, they are, they have that passion, that madness for the team, for the social opportunity, but they're respectful. You know, they don't, they don't grab people from the other stands and start beating their ass. You don't see, you know, the, uh, the English guys going after the Italian guys. Well, it's not and, Protestants versus, versus Catholics, right? <laughs> That's true. Well, th- th- there's that in Northern Ireland, but certainly th- these, these... No, not here. Here, though, yeah, yeah, no, no, but I mean, but in, in some of these other um, major soccer markets, you have, you know, ethnic strife, you have nationalism, Absolutely. you have all this crazy stuff. These guys have that passion without that hatred, and it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. I don't know if that's replicated anywhere else there's certainly mls teams that have amazing support and do a great job but um i think our fans have certainly stood out in american soccer for having that kind of fan base that kind of passion and loyalty for a club at our level Uh, what did you do to make that happen i mean is this something where you sort of seeded the clouds and there was a storm or it just rained yeah i mean our approach or marketing if you will is that like the mantra is we're the host of the party, not the life of the party. Um, so we don't blare the jock jams and we don't right. shoot the cannons and we don't have cheerleaders. 
Um, I got to ask you about a cannon before I forget, but go ahead. So, um, but no, what we did was we had soccer supporters who, similar to us, grew up watching, you know, supporters overseas and TV, and I think they wanted that kind of similar experience. And so, you know, we have a. Um, so they adopted you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, they were waiting for a team, and so for the year leading up for our launching team, like I went to soccer bars in this region. You know, thankfully, like wife or girlfriend now wife like allowed me to spend my saturday mornings like engaging these guys and being like hey what do you want to see when we have a team and so you know we built up that relationship and that trust um and frankly people came out of the woodwork we had no idea who they were and like you know it's not if i was thought we'd ever have a supporter group it's not what it would have looked like but man like i think the way we've approached it and the way they've embraced it it's like it's created a sense of ownership in the club and so from a legal perspective our michigan llc's I own 20%. My partners all own 20%. But, like, everybody in that supporter section feels like the destiny of our club is in their hands. And oh, it yeah. is. Like, if they stop showing up, like, you know, we're asking, you know. Well, there's 3,000 empty seats. Right. One, one half of the stadium is is a ghost town. Right. And, and if you look at, like, our marketing, our branding, like, what we put out there when you get the Google ads and the Facebook ads, like, we show the rabid fans and everything like that. But, like, if you go to a game, you turn around and you see – like our growing demographics, families who want to do something fun and unique and like you and got affordable. The, yeah, exactly. And you got the you got the soccer in the foreground, and then the vista is the supporters bringing the atmosphere to the games. And uh, so my kids are old enough now that when I take them, they want to go over and sit with the Northern Guard, and I want to sit with you know the uh, respectable folk on the other side of the pitch. And sometimes I'll go over there with them, but. You really have to be in shape to get over it because you're jumping up, you're marching left, you're marching right. You got to follow the hymnal so you got the right cheer. I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's work. It's a full two hours, and they just go nonstop. Um, and I joke, it's kind of like a saison painting, right? Like from afar, there's like beauty to it, but up close, it's just like ugly dots. And uh, <laughs> you know, and so like when you get in the middle there, it's you a call it ugly. Yeah, I mean, I can point, I can call them out right now, like by name. But like, yeah, I mean, it's a you sweaty, guys know where you live. Yeah, it's a sweaty mess. Um, but to what you're saying before, like, yeah, I mean, I think there's a notion in America of like soccer hooliganism and you know violence from the '80s that we saw on TV and right. you know, nightly news. Um, that's not us. Like we're now at Keyworth in our four years there. We're well over a quarter million people attending a game, and we employ half the Hamtramck police force at every game. We've only ever had three arrests in the entire period. And like I joke that like I've gone to a Lions game and I had mine expunged. So you're down to two. There we go. So, <laughs> but I've seen more people in the front row, in the row in front of me at the last Lions game get arrested. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and the product is is worse at uh, at Ford Field on Sunday. Unless I missed it, I did not see the Jorts cannon. <laughs> is the George Cannon gone? No, it's not gone. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, it's just, uh, again, that's kind of our network. Uh, Ted, who runs it, also owns uh, Metropolis Bikes. And so he's just busy running a small business. So He didn't run out of jeans to cut off and no, make it's, raggedy? And- it's funny. Like Once a year, he gives me a receipt, and he found some like Salvation Army and Gaylord or Grayling where you can buy Jorts by uh, the pound. And so he'll just give me a receipt for like $20. <laughs> and just like, you know, can you cover this? I'm like, yes, we can gladly cover your Jort expenses. Yeah. yeah, and and whatever jorts cover, make sure that's covered too. <laughs> we no 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 holy jorts. We want uh, fully uh, fully intact uh, crotches on those jorts, please. One thing that Arn Tellum Arn Tellum told me when I was writing about the the popularity of soccer and the interest in the MLS was the craving of an authentic experience and the the movement in downtown Detroit. Do you feel like the the timing of that 
with that young support you were getting kind of aligned in a way yeah and i think it's it's because of who we were um you know i live down by clark park i still do going on 12 years and my other partners live in Corktown and you know north Corktown or whatever like we lived in the city and so um i think that yeah that authenticity of the moment um we say like there was a moment going on in detroit especially like 10 years ago where despite everything that from press headlines about how negative it was there was a core of us who saw opportunity and um and so those were our friends starting businesses so first year if you recall like you know we're just an idea and less than you know a ten thousand dollar investment so like gm wasn't putting their logo on the front of our jerseys right, right? so we went to you know liz who owns k9 to five and we went to dave at uh Cipino's and the green dots and slows and so Every player was sponsored by a different business, <laughs> oh, wow. which is which was fun narrative, and it's like you know it, it kind of epitomized who we were. But like, yeah, somebody twists a knee and slows doesn't see the field the rest of the year, you know. So like, it wasn't great, you know, in that sense. But um, I help. I think that helped solidify us from day one that like we wanted to be the sports team that represented this moment in Detroit. Because there is a larger movement too. I mean, we, we want to be in cities. We want to be next to each other. It's kind of moving away from the suburbs. What's interesting to me, too, is that a lot of the families you're talking about, maybe they're coming from outside. They're coming there just as much to me. I've been to several games. For the fans on the other side, as much as the soccer on the on – the, I'm going to say field because I'm an American, sorry. But, uh, Mike, can, <laughs> Mike, Mike can say pitch and pretend he's in, in – I've been Britain. to Montreal. <laughs> right. Uh, it's hockey it's up there. It's pitch. Yeah, right. But in any case, do you, do you have that sense that the, the, the experience of the, the Northern Guard – is drawing in oh, yeah, for fans sure. to see the Northern Guard? Yeah, it's the atmosphere, right? Um, and I'm a Tigers fan, Lions fan, but like it's a totally different experience, right? Comerica Park right now is not a place I would call lively, no. right? And <laughs> it was no. funny. Vacant is a I, word that comes to mind. I got an uh, email the other day that uh, it was funny. It was somebody complaining about Northern Guard, uh, which surprisingly we don't get as often as I think people would think. And uh, it, the email was very earnest, and it was the Northern Guard is too much energy. It is too exciting. It is a distraction. I can't enjoy the soccer. It's just too much energy. Lighten up, Francis. Well, I, I was kind of like, I, you know, I appreciate the guy expressing his sentiment, but I also just wanted to redact his name and be like, this is like the best advertisement. Like, hmm. what sporting events right now? Yeah, exactly. Are that exciting? And it's not because they well, turned up the decimal. Yeah, the, I got my daughter for Christmas an F bomb tank top. For now, and she was thrilled, and she plays soccer, but she, so she likes soccer, and she plays now with EEV now, but she loves going there for the Northern Guard. Uh, Northern Guard, guys, could you put a little more cloth on that tank top? I mean, I don't <laughs> want to feel like I'm tarting up my daughter, but she loves it. What'd she say? This is how I grew up listening to you talk? Yeah. <laughs> you know that I never use foul language, you son of a bitch. Actually, but, that's not... Your mother's a wonderful person. You... you my mother's gone. Disingenuous but, but okay. Montebank. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't you read his comments? <laughs> I did. It was a great comment. My She's mom's a great gone. woman, too. <laughs> yeah. Sean, before you go, because we we, we got to move on to some other contentious matters, um, I, as someone who loves his team, loves the experience, am glad to see you getting to a point where five guys don't feel like, this has been great, but I'm working my ass off, and my W-2 shows $7, that you're trying to kick it up to the next level. My concern is, is this move to the next level the one that kills this? Yeah, I mean, I mean no. this, this is all in, right? All the chips are... Uh... So we've been building to this uh, for years now. Uh, we've been in talks. Like, we've stood out 
at this level of soccer for years, and so we've been talking to leagues for four or five years. Um, what we learned through this process, and we've gotten dragged through all these lawsuits that I can't go into with U.S. soccer and MLS, and like we are this punching bag that everybody wants to use as an example, which means I have to hire an attorney and go through depositions. It's really a pain in the ass. Um, but we can all we can do is control what we can, and so you know we've strategically made an investment in the field house. Um, you know, it's an indoor facility that gives us revenue year round. We built out the the bar restaurant space in there, which awesome. Yeah, and it's fun, and it's also we're making traction with like corporate events, which you know, again, it's like it's something. It's a rock in a very very choppy waters of U.S. soccer that like gives us some stability. Uh, so that's where our heads at is like. We can't ask people to care as much as they do for a club if they think it's going to go away. And so that's where our focus is, is sustainability. So the league, yeah, it's a calculated risk. But also at the same time, it's like staying at where we were. Um, we felt opened us up to fatigue from fans. Um, it really drove home the fact that like nine months a year we were just a T-shirt company. And, and it was too hard to try to get in 12 home games into a nine-week period. Um so that wasn't sustainable. So we really wanted to also get to a point where we're playing other teams across the country with other fans. Um, and that opens up the doors for us as well for our higher, you know, better corporate sponsorship, partnership opportunities. So I think this is a resting spot. And then I think you're going to start for the first team. And then you're going to start seeing us make other investments on the youth side, on the women's side, um, and building out those aspects. But this is, yeah, it's a huge step for us. Um, and hopefully people appreciate it, too. You know, the idea that we're playing New York Cosmos and teams from Miami and Chattanooga and L.A. Um, and now the Detroit soccer brand is going across the country, and not just online, but actually in person. I think it's pretty exciting. Well, on, on behalf of uh, the fans more so than the investors, good luck. Don't blow it. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in. And I'll never change. So we're running a little long in this week's show at a great first segment with uh, Sean Mann, the CEO and uh, founder of the Detroit City Football Club. So we're going to go brief on the great debate. Sean's got to get back to work at the Free Press. So Juwan Howard, worst hire ever. Yes or no? Of course, the answer is yes. And now we're on to Geek of the Week, which could also be Juwan <laughs> Howard. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me this morning. It's been a pleasure to resolve this so so efficiently with you. I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep. We were talking about soccer, right? <laughs> oh, no, Mark said, swipe. Mark said he couldn't fall asleep from watching soccer, so I'm not sure what game you're watching. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I love soccer. But again, so no one has yet uh, objected to Juwan Howard's hiring in this room, so I guess we can move on. Why do you assume that? Because he was in the in the in the NBA, and you know nothing about the NBA, is that why? No, because Michigan tried everybody they could get. Uh, they got to the end of their list. Everyone said no, and they hired well, Juwan Howard, I, who has I, no I, I head think... coaching experience, who's never That's done okay, any though. recruiting. Beeline made it a great job. One of the it's a top ten job because of Beeline. I'm not sure it's a top ten top ten job on its own. I mean, maybe it is. It's a football school. Uh, obviously, other coaches have won there. Nobody's won quite like Beeline, but I, I think there are a few. There are a couple I of reasons. That was a women's softball school, yeah. just based on success yeah. on baseball the field. Now too, baseball too. Yeah. Uh, Carol Hutchins is a pretty good coach, no? Yeah, I would say there are a couple of reasons fans got excited. One, it it, it is and, this and a Glee idea. club is is non perial right? Well, that's true. Do, do they have a Glee? They're so miserable in Michigan State. Do they have a Glee club? <laughs> I'm just we, asking. We we I don't know. carry on. Ignore him, Sean. I know it's his show. So Howard played. We don't need there, no right? damn 
Weekly Club. And it's it's a complicated legacy that f- the Fab Five, but there's also still, a, at least with guys of a certain or fans of a certain age, there's I don't want to say romanticism, but but yes. Howard, right? Yes. So that's part of it. He was in the his NBA. old jersey, right? So they're trying to tap into that directly. Right, Howard was also always seen as a little bit different within that group. Yeah, and, very and that's what you hear. Life story. Yeah, but when we say that, I mean, I don't, and, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky. He was in. He played in the NBA for all, all those years. That doesn't mean you can coach, obviously. But he was been an assistant coach for what five, six years, three. I can't remember four or five years. In one, uh, in one of the better programs in the league, he worked under Eric Spolstra, yep. a very forward-thinking coach. Sure. Pat Riley was the, the president. And so the assumption that he didn't, that he doesn't know what he's doing, and I'm not saying there is that assumption, but, but when we talk about Howard, we say you know great guy, or we say uh, he, oh maybe he can be able to recruit. In fact, he just offered a five star kid out of, I think California. Yes. So that's another reason some fans are going to be somewhat excited because they think he'll recruit a little bit differently than Beeline, go after some of those McDonald's guys, which Beeline never got one. But it seems very Michigan to have both the head coach and the of football and basketball. A little bit. The alumni and the athletic director being alumni. A little bit. Never won big games. And well, it was besides the point. But I mean, I just, look, he, he can either coach or he can't. We don't, we don't the, to assume one way that, or the that other. Pretty, that, that pretty much narrows it down. No. That he doesn't know strategy or offense or what is, I mean, that, that's silly. It's fair to say, can he recruit because he's recruit, never done it? Can he run a college program and kiss uh, up the donors, donors and all that because he's <laughs> yes. never done it? But the, all those but NCAA the, rules, like when can you tweet to a kid, when can you visit a kid? I mean, there's a lot to look. But now, the sure analytical part of this, guy. of course, he can do yeah, this. I'm he was getting interviewed in the NBA to be a head coach, right? And uh, Vince Ellis, who's our beat writer, covers the Pistons for the Detroit Free Press. He and I talked the other day, and he said, "Why does the black guy always have to be overqualified?" Hmm. Uh, that was his, it, and it's it's interesting. It's why is the, it saying that you're underqualified? If you haven't been a head coach, I mean that's no, a that's pretty fair, big, especially in college. John Beeline had been a head coach from high school all the way up. No, oh, he's ever been. Yeah, and and Beeline's regarded as one of the best sort of analytical minds in the, in the modern history of the game. And Howard's following that, so there's going to be, you know, some questions regarding that, obviously. But I talked to. It, it, let, me, let me change the subject just slightly for you, Michael. Well, but it, it seems silly to bring race into it because Michigan has had a history of hiring. Black coaches giving people a chance. I mean, Brian Ellerby. No, for sure. No, and I mean, Tommy Amaker. No, for sure. But I think Vince was talking about certain words he sees in coverage that he would say are coded words. Well, and so, maybe they're not. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not fair. But I'm just talking about his perspective. I talked to a, a coach at Michigan State about this, assistant coach up there. So you're getting some wisdom. Uh, yes. Okay. And his, and and his and I'm going to write about this at some point. But his thought was first of all, and this is a direct quote: "I am going to root like hell for Jawan Howard." Mm-hmm. Right? Because first of all, he's the only black coach in um, Big Ten. In the Big Ten, Blows and because my mind. and his point, the assistant coaches. His point was when a black coach takes a job like this, he's not just. It's not just about him. It's about a lot of other black coaches or, or future black coaches that there is a responsibility and a weight that they feel that a white coach simply doesn't you feel. You know, though, when he was hired, I didn't think of him as being a black guy. I just didn't. I just I, thought of him I'm as I'm just being explaining their perspective, though, right? Well, I, I get that. I, I find that really interesting, the coded words um, that you were mentioning. Did the same thing happen when Chris Mullen was hired at St. John's? I don't know. I, what did he was referred to as a risk and a gamble? Probably in some level because he was also coming from the NBA. Yeah, I think the haircut player. was a factor. Yeah, 
But I but forgetting that for a second and, and just the idea of, of what the assistant coach at state was, was talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I there's some there's obviously some truth to that, right? That you have to you're not just trying to have success at the program, you're trying to make sure you kick doors open down the line for those that are behind you in a very specific way. Well I think there's there's certainly listen, racism exists, so let's not pretend that it doesn't. But I think there are concerns about Juwan Howard's ability to succeed that have nothing to do with race. Absolutely. But but when you look at so let's look at Michigan State. Michigan State won a national championship in two thousand, hasn't won one since. Tubby Smith won a national championship at Kentucky and was gone real soon. You know, I mean, I do think the white coaches who have success can ride on that a lot longer than some of the non-white coaches. Why well, is that? Is that uh, because of donors? Is that uh, is it just societal races? I, I think it's just a, it's an institutional level kind of way of thinking, and it's it's a, almost a subconscious thing, right? On some levels, and think about this: you get back to Michigan State. Izzo's had eight coaches leave: four white, four black. And if you look at the jobs the white guys got and the salaries attached to those jobs versus the, the black coaches got, and this is part of the conversation I was having the other day, and I, I, it, it is interesting. And then do you get the second chance if you fail? Like Kevin Ollie. That's true. You know? That's true in Tubby the Tubby ended up in Minnesota. That's been true in the NFL. NFL yeah. uh-huh. It's a great thing to me that Howard is getting a chance. The Big Ten has 14 teams. It's ridiculous that there hadn't been a, an African-American coach in a 14-team league when the teams they're coaching are majority black. Is Juwan going to be a Patrick Ewing-type coach? Where I mean, Ewing's struggling a little bit at Georgetown, or is he going to be more like Penny Hardaway, who's kind of rebuilt? Well, Penny Hardaway has to win at first. first. Yeah, but he, he can recruit. He's, rec- he's recruited. <laughs> no, he sure recruited. And I would guess he'll continue to be able to recruit like that. So where are we on this? Juwan Howard, good hire, bad. Not strictly on coaching. Let's forget about, you know, saving the world and all that other, all that other Ann Arbor kind of <laughs> I think it's an interesting hire. I think it's uh, above average I think it's good. A, a really interesting hire with a, with a pretty high ceiling. I got to tell you, okay, it's a, it's, so. I'll, I'll say this. It's a very exciting hire. Like, I'm far more excited to see what's going to happen with him than I would be if it was, um, who was the guy from Providence? Ed Cooley, Which, or what? If, or what about Laval Jordan? If they'd promoted him or Luke eh, Yarkis, eh. that would have been safer, eh. right? Yeah, but this is way more. This is sexier, and because he's a Fab Five or former uh, NBA player, former. Well, I'll, I'll give him some free advice uh, on behalf of all reasonable people. Keep Chris Weber the hell away from that program, please. I guess maybe in the end we all kind of agree on behalf of East Lansing. I'm thrilled with the Juwan Howard hire. Mark seems to be happy with it, and Sean characteristically can see it both ways. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek, or we're turning into cool guys? So this is a little weird because uh, if you believe the politicians, I'm the prime beneficiary of this insurance reform that's supposed to lower rates by 15 to 50 percent or whatever they're saying. And I'm going to tell you, the geek of the week this week is, I don't know, what is it, 149 geeks? That's 110 people in the state house, the 38 senators, and our governor, Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer, because... This is not how you run a democracy. This is not how you make reform. This is not how you do public policy by excluding the public. These guys come up with a bogus plan. They tweak it. They shove it to the governor, and the governor says, problem solved. And yet we don't know 
how they've solved it. We don't know how it's going to benefit us. And the only way we can expect any kind of for sure savings is they've written into the legislation for eight years. You have to save money. Oh, 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 but wait a minute. They just acknowledged that they did something wrong that would drive prices for insurance up immediately right now. And they went back to fix it. Well, why didn't you catch that the first time? You know why? Because you did something that people who ride motorcycles know is a bad idea. You overread you. You overrode your headlights. You went too fast, so you couldn't see it was around the corner. And I suspect this won't be the only problem they have to fix. It's a really interesting issue because it's one that I'm not paying attention to because insurance is such a grudge purchase. It's something you have to have. Obligated. No, yeah, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to use it, right? Yeah. You don't ever want to use insurance, but you have to oh, pay for it. And you feel like you're, you're getting a bad deal no matter what you insurance you buy because it sucks. That being said, same goes with how bills are passed. You feel like so detached from it. Uh, it's interesting that they would do it in a fashion that makes the public even more detached because the watchdogs, people like you and Fox 2 and the free press, you know, they're not privy to it because it's going so fast. Right. So there's no public hearings. So I guess there's like a one hour sort of perfunctory public hearing. You can't see which lobbyists are testifying for it. You can't see which industry groups are going in to put their two cents in. Which is the real reason they're doing it this way. Right. Because those people are testifying, but they're testifying behind closed doors and maybe with open checkbooks. I used to cover the state house in New Hampshire. And one year they added um, to the uh, insurance laws that you had to treat mental health uh, ailments the same way you had to treat physical ailments. And people came from all over the state to testify before the state senate, and the stories they told were incredibly moving. And at some point, there had been so many stories that were somewhat similar that the state senator who was running this hearing said, we have a saying here in the Senate that when you have the votes, stop talking and vote. I'm telling everybody here, you have the votes. We are going to do what you want us to do. But if you want to keep talking, we will sit here and listen. And people did want to talk. But that was, that was, so, that was so telling to me because basically it, he said, listen, if the public wants to talk until it's blue in the face, our job is to sit here and listen to you even when yeah. you've carried the day. In this case, blue in the face? Well, somebody blew something in our face, but it's not what you want. That's the precise reason Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, why they all generally hate government. Because it looks like they're trying to do something behind our back. Yeah, this is not... Because it's in their own self-interest, not the public's. This is not government for the people, by the people. This is government to the people. So Michigan state lawmakers, congratulations. You're going to have to split the prize money a bunch of different ways. But maybe you can make up for that with some insurance savings. You are our Geek of the Week. So I've been on kind of a kick with, uh, with Pink Floyd, who I love almost as much as I love new wave music. So this week's selection is kind of new wave meets psychedelic. I don't know if anybody remembers the band Coolest Shaker. They kind of were here and they were gone. They did a cover of a Hendrix tune, which wasn't bad. But, uh, but this is my favorite. This is called The Tatva. 
What was it? What's their biggest song? I've never heard of this band, per usual. It might be the top. So they qualify <laughs> They qualify for Room 7609 in that the band needs some attention. Not that they had some B-side that no one's ever heard. It may be that no one ever heard any of it. We're changing that right here and right now. sudden i want some sort of tea they they have that effect so or, or indian food indian food would be great yeah this is this is a little known fact about the lead singer and guitar player he is the son of Haley mills from the parent trap hmm. 
which makes me wonder, is he one of twins or is he just the only child and she thinks they're twins because <laughs> she kind of got into a that life movie. impersonating art? Yeah, it could be. It's very deep, very deep, as all things with Kula Shaker are. Yeah, I was just reading about that song Tatva too, and it's uh derived from as you kinda were leading into Pink Floyd Shannon on You Crazy Diamond, the beginning of it. And ironically enough, they recorded it, I believe, in Gilmore's studio. Oh, really? See, yeah, I didn't, so there's a lot of connections there. I didn't know that. I, I was on sort of a, uh, a Pink Floyd kick for the last couple of weeks watching documentaries, and I've always been fascinated by Sid Barrett. But yeah. Dave Gilmore just launched a podcast where he's, he starts off Uh-oh. in the first episode. I know. More competition. Everybody's getting in the game. <laughs> Close so the pool. It, we're at capacity. For Christ's sakes, send him out the exit. How is his pod? Is he, he, wait, it's his podcast or is he? Well, it's professionally done. You know, there's a host who okay. kind of takes him through the story, but he's talking about the auctioning off of many of his guitars, including his, you know, iconic black strat that he played uh, all these great tunes on and is kind of retired, but he brought it back for their reunion concert for Live 8. And it, it's very interesting, and I think it's very noble that he's auctioning off these guitars. Um, to raise money for good causes, but he keeps referring in the podcast to, uh, well, they're just tools of the trade. You know, I've, I've had my time with them. They've done what they can, and now, now uh, it's time for somebody else to enjoy them. <laughs> okay. And by enjoy them, I presume he means to play them. And the one thing the questioner didn't ask, see, you'll always get the tough questions here on Soul of Detroit. One question my friend across the ocean didn't ask is, uh, well, if you think these guitars still have some life in them, why are you auctioning them off? Because there's no way no. that some shredder is going to buy this guitar. It's going to be some rich tool who's going to put it on the wall and have it dusted every once yep. in a while, or they're going to put it. it in the corniest restaurant in the in the uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, right next to the ski jump, which shouldn't be there. The Planet either. Hollywood. Yeah, and it's it's just ridiculous. But um, <sighs> okay, well, that's a well, whole, maybe that's that's that's, maybe there should be a caveat. Whoever buys it has to write a song with it. Oh boy, I don't know if you got if you got multi million dollars uh, and you didn't make it. Writing music. I'm not sure I want to turn you loose on uh, on David Gilmore's acts, but uh, he's got to know better than that. That's not that's not what's going to happen to it. It's going on a wall. Yeah, I I imagine uh, Polly told him that you know David, there are awful lot of guitars out in the shed, <laughs> but, and so uh, now and this is the special one. Now there won't be, but uh, hopefully David Gilmore keeps making music because if he inspired one good song, that might have been it. So, Kula Shaker, thank you kindly. Um, we want to hear from you if there's some songs you'd like to hear in the future on Room 7609, if you have some nominations for Geek of the Week, or if you have a subject you'd like us to kick around in the great debate, you can reach us at ml at soulofdetroit.com. You can call us at 313-288-9070 and leave a message. That's 313-Butterfield-8970. And we want to read some of our emails that we've gotten. In fact, uh, in fact, 7609 uh, some something of a, on social media, people are debating it. Some people say it's the the worst part of the show. Some people, you know, we do have a slider. You can just get past if you're kind of what? no, don't even care. They have oh, to yeah. listen. No, 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 you have to listen to exist. it. You punks. And uh, Anne writes us to say she wants to let me and Mark know how much she's enjoyed listening to Soul Detroit as a transplanted Metro Detroiter living in Metro Nashville. I appreciate the topics you cover. One of my favorite segments is Room 7609, since I went through my late teens and early 20s listening to the post-punk and new wave music. So there, yeah. mean yeah, people, 
And uh, Mark is, I don't know, Mark is kind of like the, uh, the Sean of uh, commenters. He's mean and nice. He's not happy that we picked the uh, video game that assassinates journalists as, as Geek of the Week. He says that we must be okay with video games that allow people to kill cops, soldiers, hookers, innocent people, kids, pets, etc. No, not we're not all. okay no. with that. How about don't kill anybody unless they're like certified real badasses? But he ends his, his email with, keep up the good work. I am enjoying your show. So, Mark, we appreciate your, uh, your prevarications, your, uh, your – maybe that's not the right word your, – your, uh, your ability to see both the good and the bad. And Julie writes to thank me for the story I did, the investigation that appeared on Fox 2 about Judge Green. Yes. The, oh, uh, that's right. The judge who uh, is accused of covering up the abuse of her grandchildren by her son – uh, since we did that story, we've also reported on Fox 2 that she has been removed from the abuse and neglect uh, docket until further notice. So I'm she surprised will... uh, she was removed as fast as she was. I, I think the they're doing the right thing. Had some there. concerns, yeah. and she may yet get back on there. But he's going to do but some why? more yeah. research before deciding that. Um, Julie thanks me for that story. Uh, says she wants to hug me. So uh, maybe we'll have a. Uh, Maybe we'll do a remote somewhere with a hugging booth <laughs> and says, you are rescuing children, really. So, Julie, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you watching. And uh, we'll have more stories on Fox 2. We'll have more stories here on the Red Shovel Network, which, of course, consists of Eli's No Filter Sports with Bob Page and uh, Denny McLean, the No BS News Hour with Charlie Duff, and our flagship, the Drew and Mike Podcast. You have been listening to the Red Shovel Network. We appreciate your time. Please support our sponsors. And Cyrus, get us out of here. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Fort Laramie is produced and directed by Mark Fellhauer and stars M.L. Elric as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Sean Windsor as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Jack Moyles and Harry Bartell. Company, tension! Dismiss! Next week... Another transcribed story of the Northwest Frontier and the troopers who fought under Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry.